The real estate world is changing. Opportunity is everywhere. It has never been so easy to connect, share, and bring people together. We're learning from others and finding the very best in ourselves. Challenging our beliefs, overcoming our fears, transforming ourselves so we can transform our business. This is Investor Creator. Appreciate y'all being with us. Another episode of Tuesday Morning Coffee. Might as well call it Tuesday Morning Water. Yeah, because uh, go. we're we've got our water going. I'm, I'm drinking a gallon a day, and yeah. so I'm, I'm behind right now. We're behind I'm, a, schedule. I'm close to a gallon a day right now too. That's good. That's but good. I start out in the mornings with the rough stuff. Yeah, we we, we got to start off with the hard stuff, right. and, and then end up with the water. So <laughs> so that's good. But I'm here with Tony No Socks Would All. Today. No socks. A couple weeks ago, we were Tony the Socks Would All. Now uh, we're Tony No Socks Would All. And after Big Polly was in here last week, I feel like I need a name. Yeah, no socks. You know? So I think Polly hates that I call him Big Polly. He doesn't hate it, but <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't like it very much. But it's one of those things to where you know it's like he deals with it. Yeah. But, you know, he deals with it. So I, I'm really afraid to kind of, anybody that's called big anything, I don't want to piss him off. Yeah. So well, I, he's not that big of a guy. Yeah. But he's a big personality. He is a huge personality. You know? And he wore a mean sports coat last week. Okay. And I just felt like that there might be something right behind that sport I'd right say there probably was that I didn't want to know about. Yeah. Is either a camera or, or some type of tracking device yeah. or something? You know, M and M's, a big pack of M and M's. It could be a big pack of M and M's. <laughs> you know, you, you never know. So, uh, what, what a great guy, though. Seriously, yeah. though, I mean, what a solid dude. You know, extremely intelligent. Usually, when you think of somebody named Big Pauly, you're not thinking about a lot of intelligence. This guy is. Um, he he's just solid. I mean, there's not much he doesn't know about. Yeah. But he didn't have to tell you. Yeah, that, you know? that, that's true. So if you guys have any kind of interest in understanding what a private investigator would do in the real estate game, uh, be sure and check out our last episode of Tuesday Morning Coffee. If you're listening to, th- to this on podcast, be sure and catch us in the Facebook group, Investor Creator Community. Uh, we're all the time posting fun little things there. And so you'll, you'll get to know us a little better, ask questions, whatever you want to do there. I want to jump to Apprentice Spotlight. I have two apprentices to spotlight this week. Uh, these are people that are a part of our private mastermind. And so the first, uh, because of Big Polly, it, it kind of made me think of him, is McKinley. So McKinley is based in Hawaii. He's actually moving to Virginia here very soon. I don't oh, know if you knew that. No, 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 no. Yeah, so they're, they're, uh, he's in the military, so he's in Hawaii. And so the reason I thought of McKinley, so Big Polly's going to Florida to get a deed for McKinley. He's buying a single wide on land for 10K in Central Florida. Oh my. And it's worth like, what, 90, 95, yeah. something like that. Probably uh, there, probably more than that. Yeah. So we were really, really happy with that. But uh, he also posted something in the private Facebook group that we have that I thought was kind of fun. So he said, I think this was yesterday, signed contract. This was a seller that reached out to me back in October where Carl Randall helped me out with the house's ARV. Uh, honestly, without a great follow-up system, I'm not sure this would have been possible. The sellers had many medical complications, which forced them to be unresponsive as we were closing the deal in October. Thanks, Keith Gillespie, for the amazing CRM and Brad Smotherman for the continuous support. Wouldn't have had the confidence to pull the trigger without the support system. 
Uh, here's the numbers. So the ARV, basically 200K. He's buying it for 70. It needs about 30K worth of work. So he's in it at 50 cents on the dollar. Yeah. Really tough to mess that up. So, but what this guy has, I say, I was about to say kid because in the real estate game, he, he is kind of, he's getting his legs under him. Yeah. But, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years now almost. And it seems like everybody's a kid, mm-hmm. but um, he has the stick to and the drive to see it through. Yeah. And that's something that we've talked a lot about. Uh, the second one that I wanted to showcase was uh, Jordan Bowie. So Jordan's one of our seven figure guys. So he's done over a million dollars with us. And so I'm not going to go through all of it because it's a pretty long post, but it's kind of a fun one. He said, uh, Hey guys, I just want to share something with the group that shows how Brad's script works with almost any kind of seller. I recently got a 176-unit apartment complex under contract using the some now, some later pivot in the script. For me, in the buy and hold and renovation game, this part of the script has been a game changer because it is such a powerful tool. I've encountered a few situations where the sellers has just not been willing to go down in price no matter how many times I've asked, is that the least you'll take? Often, even follow that up with my last stab at testing seller's will and ask, so... If we couldn't do this price, you probably wouldn't even want to hear back from us. Sometimes this is enough for them to say, well, no, I might still be interested, but sometimes we just hit an impasse on them going down. This is where I imagine most non-creative investors give up and where the value of some now, some later has been extraordinarily an extraordinarily creative tool most buyers probably just don't think about. And he goes on to give three major examples of how he's deal structuring this really on the commercial side as well. Uh-huh. So uh, what was that? 176 unit apartment, 176 unit apartment complex that he's negotiating with 0% on our finance. It's tough <laughs> to mess that up. It is. And you know, we think sometimes that everything's got to have some big giant name to it, mm-hmm. you know, and we have to register it and it's got to, I mean, it's sometimes it's just so simple. I mean, I've told the story before about I walked with my grandfather one day down to his property line where he met his neighbor and his neighbor said, I need a half an acre of land. I bought some additional cows. So I need grass, more grass. Mm. And he said, would you sell yours half an acre to me? And he said, sure, maybe so. And he said, well, what would you want for it? And he traded uh, beef. I'll, I'll take a quarter of a cow a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, for I forget how many years, but he traded him beef for land. They wrote it up on a napkin, took it down to the courthouse, and recorded it. I mean, sometimes we're thinking so in a system that we can't get out of that thing to think simplicity. It's me and one person. And I know there's a lot of hoops we have to jump through now, but we can jump through them. It, actually, what we're calling creative financing used to be the norm. Right. Now it's difficult financing now that people, the hoops people have to jump through. And the simple financing is some of the stuff we're doing. Yeah. And it's one of the things that I see that people have a big misunderstanding of what it is before they have a deep understanding of it. And then once you've done a couple of deals, like the way that we do it, it's like, why would I ever do anything different? Uh So I was on a call with someone that was thinking about joining with us uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago. He, He could not understand how we didn't borrow money from banks. You know, like he was in, I think, Denver, maybe it was Phoenix. It was a major city. And his whole thing was Burr strategy. So buy, renovate, rent, refinance. 
And those guys are about to get slaughtered unless they bought equity on the front end because mm-hmm. these rates are going up and they're going up fast. But he just had no concept of like not borrowing money from a bank. And it was his biggest sticking point is, you know, he wanted to do four deals. And the next year I was like, well, why only four? He said, well, I have to put 20% down. I said, well, why do you have to do that? He said, well, I'm, I'm borrowing, I'm, I have to borrow the money. Well, I mean, he didn't understand that his, his, he thought his main problem was I don't have enough cash to go and borrow money. Right. His main problem was he didn't know how to deal structure. Yes. If he bought enough equity on the front end, he, he would have whatever he needs to make a, a lender feel comfortable. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. And we wouldn't have to sign personally on all that debt, mm. you know, all that bank money. I had that asked me yesterday. He said, do you own a home yourself? I said, yeah. He said, well, how do you borrow your money then? And I said, well, I'm not borrowing it in the same way you're thinking about borrowing. Right. So, yeah. Well, I mean, your your daily rental, your Airbnb that you have, you bought sub two. I did. With roughly 100K worth of equity as it sat. Uh-huh. And it's appreciated since then. Uh-huh. It has and, appreciated since then. And the Airbnb pays for it. Yeah. And the house we live in in Murfreesboro. Yeah. So, I mean, it, th- there's different <laughs> ways to do things. And, like, if you have no idea what we're talking about, <laughs> like, you're not going to understand what we're talking about yeah. until you understand what we're talking about. Yeah. So it's just one of those things. So McKinley, Jordan, appreciate you guys very much, as well as everybody else that we have in the apprenticeship. What we want to talk about today is the three things that you need to build a seven-figure real estate investing business, and also the three things that you think you need that you don't need. And so I was thinking about this really over the, the past 24 hours of like, what do we really want to talk about? And I think that there is really so much misinformation and a big misconception on what a business like ours really looks like on the investing side. And so I thought, like, how fun is it going to be for us to come up with, take the same question and look at it from really two different vantage points? So me and Tony have not really shared (laughs) what his response is to this and what my response is to this. But I have to assume that there's going to be some overlap. Yeah, I have to assume that there's going to be some overlap. So the three things that you need to build a seven-figure real estate investing business and the three things that you think you need that you don't need. So I'll just kind of jump in. The first thing that I feel like you have to have, and for me, I think this is the, the most important thing. Out of all the things that we'll talk about today, for me, I feel like this is the most important, is you have to have a compelling vision. You have to have a compelling vision. And that sounds kind of hocus-pocus and kind of touchy-feely or new-agey. And that's not like really at all what I'm trying to get to or who I am, but <laughs> Tony laughs. <laughs> it's like, that, that's the understatement of the day right there, you know? But it's like, okay, if you have a compelling vision, what does that do? It's going to serve you in two major ways. Number one, it's going to bring a lot of energy into the business. So if you have this idea that I have this vision, it's compelling to me, it brings energy into the business, then that's going to be a lot of what you need to get through the tough times because the vision's compelling. The vision is something that it matters to you outside of just who you are. Most of the time, it's tied to something else. It's tied to, I, ha- I need to provide this for my children in this way, or I need to be able to take care of my aging parents or something that's outside of just us. Like most people will do more for other people than they'll do for themselves. And most people think of other people in a higher regard than they think of themselves. And so if we have this compelling vision, the first thing it's going to do is bring a lot of energy into the business, okay? Like, And we have to have energy in the business. The second thing that it's going to do, and I think that this is just as important, is it serves as a benchmark for you to make decisions. And so I've seen this in the business for us, 
even within the past few months. Like one of the things back in December, I was going on a mad spree to, to buy vehicles for the business. And so I ended up buying two trucks and one of which I haven't quite let go of yet. But I bought two trucks and I bought the first one and I didn't really have a, a second person to drive the second truck. And I was like, well, do I really want to do this? Maybe I need to wait. And I was like, well, but this is where you're going. This is the vision. Mm-hmm. And so in that vision, the business looks like this. We're going to need that second truck and probably another three or four more. Mm-hmm. So we went ahead and bought the truck. So it's going to serve as a benchmark for you to make decisions. So one of the things that I think is really interesting, you'll have at times someone that says, well, I want to make a million dollars a year. I talked to a guy, 24, maybe 25 years old, local guy here who did over a million dollars net last year. And we were having the conversation that in our business, once you get things pretty well streamlined, it's not that hard to do those kinds of numbers, you know, but it's one of those things that the vision has to be there to get through the tough times, you know, and the benchmarks that you have for decision-making, it's going to be really important that you have that vision that's really clear. So you can ascertain, like, I want to make a a seven-figure income. What does my marketing budget need to look like? So it's going to help you in a way get over being cost-focused. So that's one of the things that I see is a big, big roadblock for people. It's being cost-focused as opposed to profit-focused. We can't be both. You know, you can't maximize profit and minimize cost at the same time because you have to drive revenue. And so if you have that vision, it's like, I want to do a million dollars a year. It's like, okay, well, you it's going to, to not make sense if your entire budget for your business that year is $500. Right. You know, so that's the first thing for me is having a, a compelling vision to drive energy into your business and to create benchmarks for decision making. I guess my first one is mindset. Okay. Mindset is king. It is, uh, it, you just displayed it right there. I mean, uh, it's different now. Listen to you talk then from the way that you would have, have spoken four years ago. Uh, you're in a new, you're in a new place. You are post scale. And so your thought process now, things that are king to you now are a different level than they were when it was just two of us. Certainly. And you were the only investor at that time. And I was your first place to begin scaling. So for me, mindset is king in your belief system. The other day we were on a call, an internal call here, and Brad said, I just want to know where I can buy a belief stick so I can just smack every one of these folks in the head with a belief stick. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, it is tough in our culture today where things come so easy. Yes. So when things come easy, you don't have to develop any internal belief system because you can just get whatever easy. I can just do Amazon, get whatever I need here the next day. And so we don't even think so much about the cost and how long it's going to take and what we need to invest along the way. But I mean, you grew up in a home to where you grew up in in a home of flippers. Yeah. People who bought at one price and sold at a different. So you saw all that went into getting to the place where you were buying. It was not easy. I mean, you're telling stories, telling me stories about your dad having to get in this old rickety truck and drive like 10, 12 hours away, change a tire twice. I mean, because the truck wouldn't hardly run, get on it, pick up a load of whatever you were buying, bring all of that back. He'd already have it sold. Yeah. He'd already have it sold before he went down there. It almost sounds like wholesaling. Well, <laughs> and to talk about that, th- this is just a fun story, <laughs> kind of side note here. So my family, we were all in livestock. And so my grandfather 
had a, a couple of tractor trailers and, and my father kind of came up into the business and my, and my father is just a, a complete wild man. Like talk about a, a modern day Western cowboy. Like yeah. he, he was it, you know, but uh, my grandfather, you know, back then uh, this was probably in the mid sixties. If you wrote a, a check, a business check at a sale barn, it would take four or five days for it to come back up here to clear. And so my, my grandfather told my father, he said, Eddie, go down there to Baton Rouge and the, the hogs are going too cheap down there. I want you to buy four loads of hogs. Call me when you write the check and tell me what you wrote it for. And gave him a check. <laughs> my dad tells a story and he says, Brad, they were just going too cheap. He said, I bought the entire sale. Yeah. Said, Your dad I, did. My dad he did. He said buy four trucks. Yeah, you're supposed to buy four. <laughs> okay. So my father called my grandfather, and my grandfather said, Eddie, did you buy four loads? He said, yes, sir. <laughs> I bought 52 extra loads. 52. Extra, not, not hogs, but loads. Loads. So we got 56 trucks a haul, of tractor-trailer trucks coming. The entire sale. My father bought. He said, you can just hear the phone drop and the cussing starting. <laughs> All right. And he got, after about 10 minutes of yelling, he finally got to, Eddie, did you write that check? He said, yes, sir. They had, they've already taken it to the bank. <laughs> so my father, he, he used to carry around back then a, a, a bucket of dimes and he'd go to the payphone. And he didn't know where any of these these hogs were going, but you know he'd get the guy loaded, get the, the tractor trailer loaded, get the the trucker on the road, and he'd say, "You head to Topeka, you head to Indianapolis, and call me when you get there." You know, and he was sending them all over the country, and so he was at this payphone, and he'd just sit at the payphone for two days straight when they'd call in, and he he was selling them the whole time. Oh my! He was God. selling them the whole time, and so he said. I, none of them, none of the hogs made it to the location that I sent them to on the first stop without them being sold. Mm -hmm. So he bought it so cheap. And then the, the cash cleared the account before the check hit. Uh, now, I don't, uh, I don't recommend doing uh, that. Uh, but I'm going to tell you something. That's some massive belief. That is massive belief. I mean, talk about a vision. He saw the sale and he said, I'm buying everything. I don't care. I don't care. What happens. <laughs> and that's just, you know. Well, mindset of be a belief is huge. I feel like also, and, and this mindset of script, I mean, if, if our entire business is really based on that script yeah, and it is based on who, uh, one question, who is the motivated one? So if you have those, that mindset of belief, who is the motivated one and walking that script out, even if you're reading it word for word, you're going to be extremely successful. You may only buy one at a time because you don't know how to scale yet. Right. But you're not going to go broke. And if you're doing one a year, you're, you're six figures. I mean, excuse me, if you're doing one a month, you're six figures. No, mid six figures. Yes. Yeah. If, you're, if you do one or two a year, you're most likely six figures. Yeah. yeah. So mindset's my first one. Do you want all three of mine now or just the first no, one? No, we'll just go one uh, at a time. Yeah, one at a time. So, the second one, and I agree with everything there. So like mindset and the vision, I think really go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's probably 50% overlap on that. Uh, the second one for me is grit. Okay. Mm -hmm. So grit, I think is almost tough to define, but I think it's just that stick to to see it through. 
Okay, so like if you have the compelling vision, guys, the one thing I can promise you, you're going to have challenges in the business. Mm. Like I'm never the guy that says, hey, do this from your, your bathrobe, smoke cigars. We have this software that buys and sells houses for you. You click start and then you wait for the wires to hit. If you guys find that, let me know. <laughs> like I just haven't found that to be real. You know what I mean? You will have challenges in this business. Okay, there's no doubt about that. You're going to have deals that that fall through that, that really just punch you in the gut. We both have mm-hmm. had those, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, if you do enough transactions, you're <laughs> going to have situations where that happens. Okay, so like yesterday, I had two deals fall through at 8.55 Monday morning. I sent a text to a buddy of mine. It's like, here's the cash position that we had supposed to come in in the next two weeks that just evaporated. And it, it kind of got me a little bit down. Yeah, And it, it really shouldn't have, but it's just like stuff like that happens. And then I thought about it later on that day. I was like, you know what can, is great is... You know, we had that on the closing list that was supposed to cash out this month. And whether it does or not doesn't really impact anything. No. You know, so like I'm really blessed that I'm, I'm in a position where two closings don't happen. It doesn't matter. But I've had times where we have those two closings and those two closings, the cash is funding the next four and those four are still on. And then I have to go and scramble and find money right. for the four coming up. And that's not fun. That's not easy. You will have challenges, but you have to have the grit to see it through. You have to have the grit to see it through. You know, I was just thinking about you trying to figure all that out. And then you realizing that somewhere in the Southeast, I'm driving around and blank checks are flying out of the back of my truck. (laughs) I'm going to rehab to rehab. And Brad doesn't know yet what I've spent. Yeah. I had no idea. And when you're rehabbing multiple houses, you spent thousands. And uh, so it is not easy. You you go through a whole lot and you're going to go through even more than that. But, but you, you just have to, you just have to stay. You just have to hold. Yeah. It's like, I'm committed. Like I'm, I'm going to be doing this. I'm 35. I'm going to be 36 next month. And I hope to be doing this the next 50 years. Me too. You I'm going to be 130. <laughs> <laughs> I think they'll cure death in that time though. Too. I think we'll be okay. Uh, with all those little nano robots and everything, I think your husband's probably working on some of those. He's uh-huh. a techie guy. Techie. You know? Um, so that's the second one for me is grip. So the second one for me, the first one was mindset. The second one's money. So not that you have to have it or be able to borrow it from banks, but that you know you learn how it works. Uh, I like that. How does money work? And that's something I've not known in my entire life nor back generationally in my family, did we have people who understood how money worked. And I realized with my own adult kids now, I've started doing, um, like they don't realize it's a little training, but a training on how money works because I didn't teach them that when they were when they were young. So how money works like in deal structure, if you're going to be seven figure, you're going to have to figure, you're going to have to yes. learn how money works in deal structure. Yes. You're going to have to work how to, you're going to have to figure out the movement of money from one deal to the other, like for instance, once you get started, you can pull money from deal a deal you already have to buy a new deal. Uh, the whole idea, you, you got to be careful you don't get yourself behind the eight ball. But if you understand the movement of money, not just how it works in deal structure of one deal, but how it begins to work then among multiple deals. Yes. And then the third one is you have to learn the relationship with lenders. So money is my second one um, that is so important if you're going to be a seven-figure earner. I really like that. So this is exactly why we don't wholesale, okay? 
So when you talk about the movement of money, owner financing will create everything plus more of what a wholesale deal will. And so if you understand that, even at a, a moderate level, then you'll never wholesale again. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's, it's an interesting thing. And then the, the second thing with that, um, whenever I look at how money works, one of the, the main things that I'm concerned about is opportunity cost. So it's why we don't do big gut rehabs. You know, will we make more on that single house? Yes, maybe another 30 or 40 or 50K. But the time that it takes to get through that mm-hmm. is not worth the opportunity cost of having the capital in at a lower rate of return on that one individual property and then churning. So going cash to asset as quickly as we can. So I would much rather do three lipstick rehabs than one and a half full guts. Yep. And even though I'm going to make less on those three as an individual unit, I'm going to make more overall on the same capital. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the, the main things that I'm looking at whenever we're, we're judging like what to do in the business is, What's the opportunity cost on the capital that we have out? Mm-hmm. Many times I've wanted to spend another 25 on a house because we could get more. But then once you run your numbers, you realize, well, we're only going to make 35 more. Right. So I've got 25 out. I could buy two houses that are sub twos. Yeah. That just need some money down. Right. That's it. We could get two more houses in play. Yeah. Grab the equity from those two houses with what you want to put. That daggum kitchen you want to put in that house in McMinnville, Tony. We're yeah. not doing it. Yeah. So, it, and it's the right call. Yeah. So, I just had this conversation with an apprentice who wanted to spend roughly ten or so thousand dollars on litigation to get a deal taken taken down. And I said, "Well, why not just take the ten k, put it back into ads, and create another three or four deals? Mm-hmm. Like, which is going to be better for you?" Mm-hmm. And so he decided to pull from the deal because it just didn't make sense. It, it's easier oftentimes to just go and get another deal, but you're hundred percent right in that scenario. It's like 25 K to do all this rehab, or we could create two more assets and mm-hmm. notes or properties that are going retail sub two with, you know, 10 or 12 K walkaways, Yeah, you know, and there's more of those coming than there has been in, in the past three or four years. Yeah. I, you know, when I'm on the phone sometimes with our existing apprentices or friends of ours who are investors who we have a lot of conversations with and that it's still they don't get that the they think just sub twos are just in addition to Mm -hmm. which is uh fix and flips and i told one of them the other day i said you know if we had just done in 2021 just sub twos and we had not even taken down any of the fix and flips. We'd have just said no to all those deals. We'd have still done almost $4 million in captured equity yeah. in 2021. He was like, what? I said, yes. You know what I mean? That was 47% of what we did. And that's not our norm. Right. We could have taken every one of those others if we'd have, if we'd ahead of time, if we'd have taken those subject to everything that we were going to do as a fix and flip. That's why I tell everybody, buy everything you can subject to. Yes. Even your your fix and flips buy them subject to. And it may work out better if you understand how money works that you wound up borrowing that money and not taking that part. But on the front end, when we're developing deal structure, get the daggum things under contract subject to. Yeah. It's like there's everything's risk versus reward. It's like, what's the risk of buying something sub two? Nothing. Yeah, nothing. What's a reward? Potentially something. So it's like, that's a pretty easy decision. 
So number, was that number two for That you? was number two, how money works. Deal structure, how to move money among deals, and relationship with lenders. Okay, cool. So number three for me is I feel like you have to be humble and open-minded. So being humble and open-minded, because here's the thing, as you scale to seven figures, you're going to need help. And so I don't feel like I'm a super control freak, but I did have parts of this business that I didn't want to let go of. So like servicing notes as an example, you know, I felt like, well, gosh, and it's true. If you put the wrong input into Money Lender Pro, which is the loan servicing software that we use, then we're going to lose thousands of dollars based on that. Okay. But Miss Abby here is better at that than I ever was. Like outside of the purchase team, and this is not to cast shade on James or Kevin, but outside of the purchase team, everybody here is better at their job than I was. It's just that I excelled at purchasing. Oh, yeah. You know, and so I feel like as you scale, you need to be humble and open minded that you're going to need help, that you don't know the best systems for everything. If systems have been created 100% out of me that are better than I could have come up with. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like if you're not humble and you're not open-minded, and I see this a lot, actually. I see this a lot that the opposite is true. And what I've found is that it's almost always from people that started in the business around 2015. So all they've seen is this run-up equity capture, this run-up yeah. value. This is their norm. This is their norm. And it's not the norm. <laughs> and so effectively, to go back to basketball, this is what it looks like to me. is like they're that star high school player that has a crazy amount of raw talent, is completely over-the-top athletic and super competitive, and so they dominate without having to put in the effort. That's right. But then when they go to college ball, they're just another person. That's right. And they haven't built the work ethic that's needed to go in and excel. It took me 30 minutes in my first day of practice, my freshman year in college, to realize that I am just a guy on this team. Yeah. These dudes are unreal. Yeah. And so the people that I see that are not humble and they're not open-minded, they're the ones that have had success. Don't get me wrong. They've been successful the past six or or seven years, but they don't really understand at all, at all, the idea of a buyer's market Mm. where, you know, I came up in 2010. And so we know how to navigate that market where I know that they don't, you know, and so that they've had success too easy based on the market, which would be like raw talent for the the high school player. Mm -hmm. But they haven't really built the work ethic and the systems to see things through medium to long term. Yeah, if they haven't been through already what they're afraid they're about to go through, they'll start pulling out right now because they think the market's not going to be kind. Right. When actually, this is the time when an investor really is going to make the lion's share of their Yeah. The, the next five years are going to be better than the previous five. Yes. And that's a hell of a statement for us to make. It is. And we will probably do less fix and flips, and we'll do more buying with creative finances. Yeah, 100%. That way. And it's, we'll just flip the switch. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah, we're, we're fine to continue on the way that uh, we need to based on what the market does. Number three for you. Number three for me is multiply yourself. So two kinds of scales I've learned from watching and going through what you've been taking us through. One is you got to learn to scale in, which is your own business. And two, you've got to learn to scale out, which is beginning to help others. So, and I've noticed both of those things. The scaling in started happening before we were even using the word scaling. Mm -hmm. When you replaced yourself as the key face in front of them, 
which then gave you the ability to to be freed up to learn other things. The rest of the put the rest of the tools in your toolbox. You right, know. right. The bringing Casey on board was a genius uh, move uh, because she's a systems person. She's an organizer. She came in here like a mom would and started putting the rooms in order. I would say she probably felt like a mom too, yeah. dealing with us. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> and so the systems that are all in place, that groundwork, even the people that are here now, she she basically is it, it, it did did all of that mm-hmm. or made space for all that to happen. So scaling in is important. But scaling out, I am reminded of the day you said, so because I think, had we already been Pensacola? I don't know. When when we invited the 15? Invited, yes. Okay. Yes. We'd already been to Pensacola to that conference. And so we knew that we had some buddies, some friends that were going to want to know some of what, not we brought from that conference, but what we brought, We took to that conference. What we took to that conference, yeah. yeah. So we invited these 15 guys, friends of ours, to come on a Wednesday night for a couple of hours and to our office. And we set chairs up in the hallway. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and I won't ever forget when they started coming in, this big dude started coming in there with, with denim bibbed overalls on, you know, and work boots. He was mud up past his ankles. It was Will Bowden. Yep. And, uh, I was like, where in the world did we get this guy from? And I had no idea this dude was killing it in Southern middle Tennessee already. Yeah. And anyway, Brad charged everybody $500 a piece. He said, well, what do you want to do with it? And I said, well, I mean, we could go buy a big steak dinner, you know, with it. <laughs> That'd be a heck of a steak. You know, and uh, he's like, no, 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 we're going to sow this into the community. I was like, oh, well, we've got some homeless neighbors around here that need some help in the wintertime. So that $500 times, I don't know how many of them there were, were. About 15. About 15 of them went straight into our community then. But what I started realizing then was how important it is to scale out because now those guys have become our advocates before we really even launched Investor Creator. Those guys have become our advocates out there. And even just in the last month, one of them who started with us popped back in and said, how much money I need to send down there to get that training again? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, this guy, he is killing it where he lives, you know, he owns half the county. And uh, so it is good stuff. So, for me, the third one is multiply yourself in, in your business and out. All right, cool. So l- let's switch gears. I-, I think this will be fun as well. So like just important as what to do is what not to do. And possibly more important, I think, is what not to do. Or maybe how not to believe or feel, you know. Or what you don't have to have. Right. To yeah. Seven figure. Yeah. And so that, that's what we want to go through now. And, and we'll kind of go through this a little bit more rapid fire for the sake of time. But Okay, we went through the three things that I feel you really need to, to get to that seven-figure level. Tony did the same thing. A lot of overlap between the two. That's mm-hmm. kind of what I expected. But now I want to go through what you don't have to be or feel or have. And so for me, the first thing that you you don't have to be is smart. Okay? This is not about being smart. Like, I know a lot of smart but fairly broke people. And so, like, intellect is a very, very small part of this. I, I feel like work ethic is far more important. Being open and humble to a system, I think is far more important. But being smart, I mean, I'm not stupid, but I'm definitely not the smartest guy in Middle Tennessee, you know, by any means. And so it's just one of those things that I, I feel like people think that 
you have to know a lot. And that's true, but it's learnable. It's not difficult. So if you immerse yourself and you commit, then anybody really can do this business. And it's a good thing that you don't have to be smart. (laughs) 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 Uh, I think that, you know, there are different kinds of intellect. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, some of the smartest people you and I've ever seen, because we both grew up in some rural areas with a lot of people in agriculture, who somebody in town with a nice suit on might look at and go, man, that that guy's not very smart out there. It's 97 degrees. He's out there working in in the heat. But there are different kinds of intellect. That's right. And so that's good. So my first one was you don't have to be an extrovert or a super smooth salesman negotiator guy. Yeah, yeah. You just have to be one who can humble yourself enough to follow a script that already works. Yeah. I think you and Steph are a great example of this. So anybody that's been around Tony for more than 15 seconds can tell how much he cares about people. Mm. Now, I don't mean this again to to throw shade, but Steph, on the other hand, (laughs) my sister, she'll go and buy a house with some Snoopy pajamas on. And if they're going through like, like all their life story, she'll stop them and say, I understand. I have troubles too. I'm here to buy the house. So let me ask you this. You know, and so it's just two ends of, of the, the continuum. With them. <laughs> yeah, Tony will stay with them for the rest of the day and hear about, about all their problems. And I'm not going to say one is right and one's wrong, just, but they both work. Yes. You know, so Steph is going to go and buy the house. Tony's going to go and buy the house. I remember one time Steph went to a house and this was in Knoxville. So she got the call. It was a steak dinner deal. And so in, in our world, a steak dinner deal is not a deal that pays for your steak dinner. It's the deal that you leave the steak dinner that just arrived to go and buy it. Okay. So she had a steak dinner deal come in. And so she drove from here to Knoxville, which is about two and a half, three hours. And my sister hates the interstate. Mm. Like gets real nervous about driving and all that. But she drove there and she got there at like two o'clock in the afternoon. And she knew that there was an investor coming at like 2.30. So she was in there. She had to get the contract within 30 minutes. And she did. And so (laughs) she walked out and uh, it was one of Pat Martin's buyers mm. that was out there and she said oh yeah i already got it and she, she got a good deal and the, the guy that she was going to be competing against was listening to the podcast my podcast because uh. he saw her card and said are you do you know brad and she, she said yeah that's my brother he said i'm li- literally listening to him on the in the car right now <laughs> which i thought was really funny but she has just a completely different way of dealing with things uh-huh. but it's the same linear process so you don't have to be an introvert extrovert Warm and cuddly, cold and prickly, doesn't matter. Just go through the process. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Number two for me, you don't have to be rich. You don't have to be rich. Thank God. Because I literally had $300 in the bank my first closing when I was 20, 24. So literally everybody that I know that has done things at a high level, and I'm sure that there's exceptions to this. Money does make it easier. Don't get me wrong at all. Money does make it easier. But everybody that I know that has made it to a super high level, let me think. I can't think of an exception. They started with very little. They started with very little. So real estate is the only thing that I know that gives the average person a real shot at generational wealth. Okay, So you don't necessarily have to have money or credit or banking connections or a deep source of network to make the business work. So rich is not something you have to be. What's number two for you? Well, number two for me is you don't have to have the ability to find good deals. If you're looking for good deals, 
you have stolen the spot of the person that needs to be selling you their house. Mm. You have become the motivated one. If you're finding, you're the motivated one. They're trying to find you. Let them do it. Figure out how to let them find you. So you don't have to be the one that's out there finding good deals. We hear that all the time. I just, I just can't find good deals. Yeah. Well, that's because if you're looking, you stick a hundred sellers in the middle of a parking lot and only five of them are highly motivated. And I say, go find me those five. You're not going to be able to do it. Yeah. So that's a really good analogy. Think about speaking to 95 people and the time that that takes yes. to get to those five. Yes. If you just ask the five people, come on up that really, really want to sell your house mm-hmm. and you're talking to the people that are highly motivated, that's right. it's so much more efficient. That's right. Yeah. So that's, that's my second one. Okay. You cool. don't have to be able to go out there and find them. Well, hundred percent, hundred percent. Number three for me, you don't need a real estate license. Okay. Mm-hmm. A lot of people feel like, Oh, should, should I get my license? Should I not? That kind of thing. Uh, I was licensed. I retired it to do this business because I found for me, it was really difficult to, to manage <laughs> two different frames of the business. So like, and I would go to, to houses, well, I can, I can buy it for this or I can list it for that. Well, you can imagine I listed houses. I didn't buy anything and ended up that a lot of the things that I was listing, they ended up going into foreclosure because the market was so bad. I didn't really serve the people in the way I could have mm-hmm. if I had just been confident that, hey, I can buy it for this. Here's what we're going to do. Go through the script work that didn't exist at the time, but this is how we're going to buy it creatively to where we can make the deal work. I would have served the people at such a higher level had I done that. Yeah. And so you don't need a real estate license. Mm-hmm. I guess my last one is, and there's a caveat to this one. Do I believe that technology is powerful? Yes. Do I believe technology can help you go to whole new levels? Yes. But if you don't know the first thing about technology, you can buy equity at a large level. Yes. Because If you know the simplicity, now we use PPC to help those people find us. But the reality is with the script system, you can be talking to to those hundred. You can sit down and talk with all 100 of those folks in that parking lot. And if you will stick to the script, those five are going to find their way to you. Yeah. Even some people I have bought from were not, I didn't know whether they were motivated or not, but when I take that script, I ask a question on the front end. I call it a flip question to where that if they are motivated and I just don't know it, they'll walk right into that script. Mm. If they're not motivated, they're going to just move on, Yeah, which is fine. I don't want to spend time there anyway. I'm taking a good deal from a real estate agent. Yeah. So you don't have to be, you do have to have a Christina <laughs> to remind <laughs> you what your password is to your email. But you do not have to be technologically savvy to make good money at this and to be a seven-figure earner. Yeah, 100%. But learn how to do it and do it. Yeah, so you're kind of preaching to the choir on that one. Tell a little little story on myself. I really don't like technology, and I get very frustrated at it. And so yesterday, uh, (laughs) no giggling over there, by the way, uh, my Zoom wouldn't work. So like, I was in the middle of call review every, every two weeks, Anybody that wants to send me a call that they've done, I review it and I do it live. And so I'm doing a call review and I had three of them yesterday. I had like 20 people on the Zoom and twice in a row, my Zoom just quits. It comes back up, but it quits. And so after the, I think the third time it went down, I just closed my computer up, walked in there, threw it in the trash can, grabbed my other laptop, 
and uh, went back to work. And whenever I got the call done, uh, I found that somebody had rescued my Mac computer that from the trash can. Yes, they had. Uh, but it wasn't Christina. No. She, she said, I'm not going to dig in through the trash. And I don't blame her. I don't know who did it. Was it Tasha? Tasha did it. Okay. Well, thanks, Tasha. But um, Well, I mean, it, m- old muffins, yes. A empty Fritos bag, yes. A laptop, not normal to see in a trash can. That's so true. We do rescue those. I thought you were going to say like, a half-eaten candy bar we would rescue from the We trash would can. rescue a half-eaten candy bar as well. Yeah, and I, I'm, I kind of concur on that. <laughs> so anyway, guys, that's about it for us today. Appreciate y'all being with us. If you need anything, reach out. Support at bradsmotherman.com. If you're listening to this on podcast, be sure and catch us, the Investor Creator Community on Facebook. And we will see you guys next Tuesday. Y'all have a good, fun, profitable week. Great day. <laughs>